Baltimore Motor Carrier Safety Administration. And uh, today uh, we're here to discuss the hours of service uh, notice of proposed rulemaking. Uh, it is my pleasure to introduce uh, this morning uh, Ray Martinez, the administrator of FMCSA, who joined the agency a uh, little over a year ago and since then uh, has embarked on the mission of better engagement with our stakeholders, with our partners, and uh, answering questions and, and uh, being there and working with you. So uh, without further ado, uh, Ray Martinez, because I'm not gonna spend up a long time up here talking because we're here to listen to you. So, Administrator. Okay, thank you, Wiley, and thank you everyone for uh, being here this morning. Thanks for joining us for this hours of service, uh, notice of proposed rulemaking, uh, listening session and panel. This time last year, the FMCSA published an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking, or an ANPRM in Washington speak. Uh, and the purpose of that was to explore adjustments or improvements that may be appropriate and determine whether the agency should proceed with a rule change. This is the process. Uh, we heard in that process directly from drivers, safety directors, uh, and stakeholders from across the country about the need for improved safety and increased flexibility. And that increased flexibility would lead to improved safety. So again, we heard from you and uh, we've acted. And this is another step, a very important step in the process. The Department of Transportation and this administration have put forward a proposal uh, that is available on our website at fmcsa.dot.gov that will be shown this morning that is available to the public uh, that we believe modernizes current hours of service regulations to improve safety on our nation's roadways and provide commercial drivers the flexibility that they need to do their work that is so important to our nation's economy. This proposal is directly based on the more than 5,000 comments the department received from commercial drivers throughout the country. So today, again, as part of this process, we want to hear from you. We believe the proposals in this rule will improve safety by offering you the flexibility you need to not feel like you're racing against the clock, needlessly driving through congestion, or hunting for safe parking. It is not a panacea, it's just added flexibility. The proposal would not increase driving time. Both the proposed rule and the current rules would prevent commercial motor vehicle operators from driving more than eight consecutive hours without at least a 30-minute change in duty status. This rule is still only a proposal, and an additional comment period is now open for 45 days. So again, uh, you know, there is no magic wand here. There's no, uh, I don't have the power, nor should I, nor do I ask for it to just uh, make a decision and have it become a regulation overnight. That's not the way this works. This is a process and this is a very important part of that process. We are encouraging all our stakeholders to review the proposal on the Federal Register and share insights on the proposed changes that are uh, put forward. Uh, in addition to the individuals present today, and I thank you all for being here, this is also um, a 
uh, available. This hearing is, uh, this uh, listening session uh, is available online and people will be participating uh, remotely and we encourage them to do that. An additional listening session will be scheduled for later this uh, year within the comment period uh, in Washington, D.C. The administration, the Department of Transportation, and the FMCSA remain committed to listening to and in working with all stakeholders, including motor carriers, drivers, safety advocates, and law enforcement partners. We firmly believe that any changes that can lead to improvements in safety, that can improve to, uh, Im lead to improvements in flexibility and efficiency in this important sector of the, of, uh, of the economy, uh, can only be achieved by this type of engagement. We want to ensure that these rules continue to protect public safety and provide the industry with the necessary flexibility for an efficient transportation system. Now, before we begin, I'd like to take a moment to introduce today's panel. These are uh, folks that are very knowledgeable about uh, not just this rule, but about FMCSA operations. Uh, the first um, uh, down to my right is uh, Jim Mullen. Uh, he is the FMCSA Chief Counsel. He's responsible for legal policy on all aspects of agency programs and activities, including the development, issuance, interpretation, enforcement, and defense of federal motor carrier safety regulations. He also supervises a team uh, of about 40 attorneys that provide legal support on a variety of issues for the agency. Also to my left, Jack Van Steenberg. Jack has dedicated his entire 36-year professional career to highway safety. Uh, he's a former New York State uh, trooper and senior uh, officer in that organization. He is FMCSA's chief safety officer and acting associate administrator for enforcement and program delivery. He's also responsible for leading the offices of research and registration, policy and enforcement. And also to my right is Larry Miner. Uh, Larry is FMCSA's associate administrator for policy. His office is responsible for strategic planning, program evaluation and policy, and program development activities regarding driver qualifications, hours of service, truck and bus safety regulations, and requirements for inspection, repair, and maintenance programs for commercial motor vehicles. Once again, we're pleased that uh, all of you have joined us here in person and all of those who are participating uh, remotely uh, on the web. So uh, with that, I will turn this back over to uh, Wiley to begin the, uh, the process of, uh, of comment and uh, questions. Thank you, Administrator. Uh, I'm going to turn this over now to Larry Miner, who will uh, go in detail over the hours of service proposal. And uh, so Larry, it's all yours. Okay, good morning, everyone. And just to cover the major elements of our hours of service notice of proposed rulemaking, the first element is the proposed, a proposal to change the short haul exception to the requirement to prepare records of duty status. Currently, if a driver returns to the normal work reporting location within 12 hours and you stay within a 100 air mile radius, those drivers are not required to prepare records of duty statuses. With the proposal, we're changing, proposing to change the limit from 12 hours to 14 hours to return to the normal work reporting location 
and extending the distance from 100 air miles to 150 air miles. So that under this proposal, drivers would then have up to a 14-hour window to return to the work reporting location at a distance of up to 150 air miles and be exempted from the requirement to prepare records of duty status. The next element of our proposal was to address the issue of adverse driving conditions. Currently, you have the 11-hour driving time limit, and if the driver encounters adverse conditions such as bad weather, extremely heavy traffic that was not anticipated at the time that the work shift began, the drivers have an additional two hours of driving time under the current rules. However, that two-hour extension does not apply to the 14-hour driving window. So with this NPRM, we are proposing to extend the driving window so that the drivers have a better opportunity to use the additional two hours of adverse driving time that's already provided. Next, we're proposing changes to the 30-minute rest break requirement. Currently, we start that clock at the time that the driver is working. We look at all on-duty time, so if eight hours have passed a total of all on-duty time, then the 30-minute rest break requirement kicks in. So you may have only been driving for a couple of hours, but if the total on-duty time hits eight hours, then you're going to have to stop to take the 30-minute break with the current rules. With the proposal, we're going to focus on driving time so that all the miscellaneous on-duty time that you spent prior to driving, all that time would not be counted. We're looking strictly at your driving time to see whether you hit eight hours of driving time before you're required to take the 30 minutes, and also giving you the extra flexibility that it doesn't have to be 30 minutes off-duty. It could be 30 minutes on-duty, not driving, 30 minutes mixed up with sleep at birth, on-duty, not driving. So as long as it's a 30-minute break from the actual driving task, then that could be used to satisfy the requirement for the 30-minute rest break. So again, looking at driving time and giving you the extra flexibility that it does not have to be 30 minutes off-duty. The next is the proposal concerning sleeper births. Right now, we give you the flexibility of the eight and two so that you have eight hours in the sleep at birth and two hours either in the sleep at birth or off duty. And with this proposal, we're basically considering a seven and three split to give you that extra flexibility. So it will be seven hours in the sleep at birth and three hours in the sleep at birth or three hours off duty or some combination of sleep at birth and off duty. And that will be used as a split sleep at birth option. So then you would have those two options, eight and two or seven and three. Next slide. And the next element of our proposal is a pause to the 14-hour clock. Right now, the way it stands, you have the non-extendable 14-hour window. So once the work shift begins, you've got a non-extendable 14-hour window within which to complete your 11 hours of driving. With the proposal, we would now have the opportunity for one pause of the 14-hour clock for at least 30 minutes, but up to three hours, so you can go off-duty for up to 30, for 30 minutes to up to three hours, and that would pause the 14-hour clock, provided that you then have 10 consecutive hours off-duty at the end of the work shift. So that's some added flexibility that would now be available through this proposal. And then the NPRM includes questions about other hours of service topics, so we're inviting everyone to look at the full notice of proposed rulemaking, look at all the different elements of it, and provide feedback. And you can provide that feedback by going to regulations.gov, and that's available online 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it's free of charge. And you can go there and submit your comments to the agency at regulations.gov and reference that docket number that we have on the screen, and that's FMCSA-2022-0001. 
2018-0248, and you can go through that docket and submit your comments. And you can also look at all the comments that have been submitted by others and offer us your thoughts and opinions on any and all of the elements of that notice of proposed rulemaking. And for anyone that doesn't want to put their name on it, we do accept anonymous comments. So again, we are encouraging everyone to participate in the rulemaking process to whatever degree you feel comfortable. And if you want to submit your comments anonymously, you may do so. So that's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we only ask that you get those comments in to us by October 7th. So that's a quick overview of what we have in this notice of proposed rulemaking. And we strongly encourage all of you to participate in the rulemaking process. Thank you, Larry. All right, so now we get to the meat of the, of the uh, event uh, where we hear from you. Uh, so again, this is being uh, webcast, so those online can also participate. But uh, so those that are in attendance on your chairs, uh, you found a piece of paper with some questions and uh, kind of an overview of, of the uh, proposed rulemaking. That's also available online. It's to uh, get your thought processes going, what you might want to comment on. Uh, this, is, this is being recorded. Also, uh, we've got a, a court reporter taking down uh, transcripts so that uh, these can be added to the docket. This is all part of the, the process that the administrator was talking about, the Administrative Procedures Act that we have to follow in rulemaking. So uh, again, we're going to open this up to comments. Uh, feel free to talk about the, uh, this proposal and we are limited uh, into, as to how far we can uh, go in explaining everything just because of the Administrative Procedures Act. So uh, again, we're here to listen to you and your thoughts on, on our proposals and uh, what changes you would recommend uh, and all that. So uh, we'll take our first question. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry, come up to the mic, please, and state your uh, full name, and if you're with an organization, also state that as well. Bountiful, Utah, and I'd like to comment on the short haul proposal. We very seldom go over the 12, but when we do, we have to fill out a log that looks like an EKG. So I'm in favor of that extra two hours of flexibility. We, we don't plan it that way, or we are hitting 60 hours by lunchtime on Friday with 20 hours overtime pay. And uh, overtime is for our customer. It's not for us. We can't make any money paying overtime wages. Um, CVSA in committee chatted about uh, this extended, and somebody made the comment that, well, we're okay with the 14-hour extension if they go on ELDs. Well, that effectively takes away the short-haul exemption. So I hope you'll be watching for that and give that a squash. Um, on the last bullet point, I'd comment that the, should drivers using the short-haul exemption be allowed to end the work shift at a different location than the one in which they were dispatched? And I would say yes, because we have hauls that we get one and a half loads a day. We load, we go dump, we come back and load and go dump, and then we're out of hours. Then the next morning we come back and load, and go dump, and come back and load, and we're out of hours. And so the next day, you, you see what I'm saying on this? We're ending in a different place, but we're still within the spirit of the regulation. So keep that in mind when you're making that decision. 
Thank you. Thank you, sir. Just to follow up to your, your comment, the ELD exemption will apply, as it's written today, will apply to the 14 hours. Thank you. You're welcome. Good morning. My name is Andrea Marks. I am the Director of Communications for Trucker Nation. And on behalf of Trucker Nation and its membership, which is a base of truck drivers, companies, and industry stakeholders, we do appreciate the opportunity to provide public comments to the FMCSA today. So without language in the final regulatory text that explicitly states that the use of the proposed provisions are at the driver's discretion, again, driver's discretion, this leaves a wide open door for rampant issues of driver coercion. We're glad to see this issue come up in one portion of the NPRM in the additional question section of the adverse driving conditions proposal. However, it's vital that the same conversations, questions, and consideration be given to such proposals as split sleeper birth and split duty. The only person making safety decisions on the road is the driver. This added layer of protection is necessary to achieve the highest level of highway safety for commercial drivers and the general motoring public. Also, we're suggesting that FMCSA include in the regulatory text that proposals for flexibility have been made to make up a robust set of options for drivers to use. Since the unpublished and published versions of the NPRM have been made available, common misconceptions, including believing that one option or another is all that is being proposed, are very real in the industry right now. Drivers wanted options, and that's what is being put forth in the NPRM. Hours of service is inherently a driver issue, and this is demonstrated in the NPRM just simply by the name of the NPRM, hours of service drivers. So as a result, we firmly believe that, the regula that regulations are not the answer to all problems in the trucking industry, and that this situation is a real opportunity for FMCSA to provide both protections to the drivers and the general motoring public. Further, making this assertion more clear in the regulatory text would eliminate the need for FMCSA to spend additional time creating either policy or guidance documents once the rule has become final, and it will also cut down drastically on the inconsistencies in interpretation by enforcement officials at roadside. So the NPRM is one more step towards flexibility that drivers so desperately need, and we appreciate the opportunity to provide comments today. We'll be making more robust comments electronically via regulations.gov, and we look forward to working with the agency to address these concerns as we proceed towards final rulemaking. Can I just ask a couple of follow-up, just clarifying questions? Absolutely. <laughs> so you mentioned the, the driver, you want the driver to have more options. I'll just use an example as proposed in the sleep, the split sleeper birth. Sure. We have the seven and three, eight and two. Are you saying let the driver make those decisions? Correct. You know, seven and three against the carrier who will say, no, you have to take this or that. That's correct. And then adverse driving, you know, we have the definition there. We are looking for uh, more clarification on that, where it says at the time of dispatch. Correct. Right, you're like, you're, you we're want the driver to be able to decide. We're suggesting that these decisions be left expressly up to the driver. The dispatcher is not the one making the safety decisions on the road, nor is the shipper, receiver, or the company, or the carrier, or any other customer in the supply chain up to that point. These are inherently driver issues. The driver's the one that decides 
or you know feels the fatigue or feels the issues out on the road, deals with the traffic, deals with the adverse driving conditions or anything um, of the nature. So as a result, without having this explicitly spelled out in the regulatory text, it opens up the industry to, um, to rampant coercion issues. Thank you very much. Thank you. Another follow-on question for you. Um, under the current regulations, there's quite a bit of flexibility provided to the driver to determine when they want to go off-duty, exactly when they want to use the sleeper berth. Could you briefly give us some examples of some of the major challenges that the drivers are currently experiencing with trying to exercise the flexibility that's provided by the regulations in terms of their work schedules and when they want to rest and when they want to stop? For fear of fumbling over my words, terribly, <laughs> we actually have created some logging sheets that describe some of these challenges, and we would be more than happy to provide those electronically to FMCSA. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Gary Books, owner-operator. Uh, I am leased with Landstar, operate under their authority. Uh, I approach all of this, uh, I wear multiple hats. I'm a driver, I'm an owner-administrator. I approach all of this under the guides of risk management. Everything I do out here, every day, every second, puts me at risk. Puts me at risk, puts our company at risk, our authority, our customers, their freight, the general public. I think there's many sensible ideas that are being presented. I think we've made a lot of progress in the last few years. I view the hours of service as not a guide of how much I have to work, how much I have to drive. I approach it maybe a little different than a lot of people. To me, it's all about time off. There's no way I can work more hours or drive more hours practically than I will have time off. I'm always gonna have more time off. I cannot force more work time under the regulations, nor would I want to. Uh, I think the gentleman on the shore hall explained it better. I used to do short P&D work. I think that's an excellent proposal. I think it offers a lot of sensible uh, common sense there. The uh, adverse driving conditions, I think we have to be careful of abuse where people say, oh, you know, we got rush hour traffic. You have rush hour traffic in Chicago, LA, Atlanta, Dallas every day from, you know, five in the morning till nine at night. I mean, so we really have to be careful about the abuse of that uh, adverse. And um, I think a lot of it's gonna come down to the auditing and um, the documentation and teaching people how to document properly. Um, those issues, and, I, and I'll talk on training later in a, in a moment. Um, the 30-minute break, I think that uh, going to the eight hours driving would be an excellent move. I think that um, when we are off-duty, not driving, we're not working every second of that. You know, we're going to the restroom break, we're grabbing a, you know, cup of coffee in the break room at the shipper or receiver or the whatever. So we're doing more than just constantly jump out of the truck, work, 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 get back in, drive. So there is some break time involved in every time we stop, no matter how we want to try to do that. You just can't work every second. You're not going to. So I think that makes a lot of common sense. Um, the impact of allowing somehow to go 11 hours without any kind of a common sense break is just a 
that's a terrible idea, the cumulative fatigue, the effect on our cognitive decision making, um, the health, uh, our health is bad enough out here. I mean, we walk around, there's no secret, you go to a truck stop or you walk around, you don't have to be a doctor to look around and say, we got a health problem in our industry. And it's because we're sitting, we're sedated, you know, it's an issue. And I don't know if there's a lot of ways to solve it without personal responsibility. Um, the splits. I use the eight and two split a ton. Um, it's very useful. I learn how to manage it. I take control of it. And um, it, it makes me much more efficient. Part of the problem I see, and I still coach a lot of people, a lot of individuals don't really know how to manage it or don't understand it. I meet people within the last year didn't even know we could still do this or could do this, and they don't know how to use it. They don't know how to do the math. The ELD with the automatic calculations has solved a lot of the math problems. You don't have to be an Einstein to do the math on a logbook anymore, which was a problem when we had the paper logs, to be honest. And um, that's why a lot of times the logbook had one line and not a lot of stops. So, um, so that uh, the I'm glad you said we would probably be able to keep the eight and two if we get the seven, three and seven. I'm um, still trying to evaluate in my mind until a seven and three or three and seven, whatever you want it happens. I think it's kind of hard to tell exactly what would happen with that, um, but I think that's a reasonable proposal. Um, I worry a little bit about cumulative fatigue over several days of use. Uh, because as we know, when you lay down to go to sleep, it's not like your head hits the pillow and, and uh, you're out. Uh, but sleep science generally, uh, when I read it, says we, if we're, most of us get six to seven hours of sleep in a normal day. At my age, I hope I get that much, it seems like. Uh, you know, things hurt and you move around a lot more. The, um, the, the extension of going to the 17 hours, um, I have concerns about that um, if it's abused. Uh, I, I wrote a piece about are we just moving the finish line? Because until, some, until people take the responsibility, it doesn't stop the, the, the 11 hour clock where people have to stop driving. Uh, what we had flexibility before was because it was on a piece of paper, you had an eraser and you had a pencil. That was the flexibility. Now, the flexibility is in our decision making. We cannot have people drive to 10 hours, 50 minutes and then think they're gonna get a parking spot. And then they make the excuse, well, I gotta keep driving because there's no parking. People have to take personal responsibility for this. So, um, I worry about the fatigue and I worry about people using the excuse of, well, there's no parking, I gotta keep going and we need to have exemptions for that and, and so on. So those are some of my thoughts. Um, and uh, I think that we all have a lot of issues to solve but it comes down to, to training, education and personal responsibility and I thank you for your time. Thank you. Sir, just one, one follow-up, I mean, you talked about this yeah, very good points throughout. Thank you. Um, you talked about the split sleeper, and you needed. You said you needed to look at the seven-three option a little bit more. Yeah. But what you said, you said something really important that's in this federal register note or the uh, notice of proposed rulemaking. If you look at it, 
and it talks about the average sleep time a truck driver gets and it's 6.5 basically and you said six to seven hours yeah. so that's the rationale of going since hey i'm only you know everybody's getting 6.5 on the average we'll go to seven and that your what you said was really consistent with what's in the notice proposal rulemaking so you know it's in there and i appreciate your comments though so. Thank you. Yeah, it's based on my lifetime experience. I've been driving for 30 years, um, owner operator for going into 17, and uh, take a lot of pride in what I do. And uh, you know, just I want to be safe because I want to go home to my family. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, uh, my name is Ricky Von Honecker. Feel free so, to use the uh, back microphone. Okay. Um, I'm a, a safety professional, former driver. I, I deal with about 500 owner operators. Um, had some, some questions and comments. Uh, on the, the adverse driving conditions, um, I, I, to, to the point of should that be with the driver, I do 100% agree uh, that it should be with the driver. Uh, my concern is the compliance review factor of being able to, uh, you know, satisfy that there was an adverse condition. Mm -hmm. um, I feel the current definition is a little vague, uh, per se, uh, for these drivers. They want to use it for everything and anything, and, um, you know, a forecasted hurricane is not a... Yeah. <laughs> it's an emergency condition, but not a uh, something that wasn't forecasted. So, just more definition there. Um, to uh, the thirty-minute break, uh, I kind of mentioned this last year, and I, I just want to reiterate it again: driving eight solid hours is not only unsafe; it is unhealthy for a driver. Um, I would strongly suggest relooking at this rule and changing it to a consecutive drive time rule. I don't think anybody should be behind the wheel for longer period than maybe three hours without having to stop. I don't think they need to stop for 30 minutes when they stop, but they need to get out, you know, stop, get their eyes off the road. Uh, again, I, I don't feel driving eight straight hours is safe for anyone. I've had that rule for my drivers since 2003 when these rules went into effect. Um, it's. It, again, it's not just safety for them on the road, it's also their health. You know, avoiding blood clots and, you know, in the least, at least hemorrhoids, you know, <laughs> getting out of that seat. Um, the, the sleeper birth uh, ex exception, um, could you clarify real quick, is the seven and three both not going to count against the 14? I think the short answer to that is yes. Okay. So you would basically be looking at peaks and valleys and adding up the chunks of time. Okay. Because currently the two counts towards the 14th. <clears> so <throat> that's what I was wondering on that one. I think if, if there is the flexibility that it doesn't count against the 14, that would be uh, very good and, and, and allow them a lot more flexibility. Mm -hmm. I, I do reiterate um, what, uh, I'm sorry, I don't remember her name, it's mentioned earlier that. You know, the drivers need to be the ones that make these decisions, not, not the companies. Um, in, the, in the proposed rule for the extending the 14 uh, for a period of up to three hours, the pause, 
it, it states after that that the driver must take 10 consecutive hours off after the pause. But if that pause is part of the split, there's some confusion there. Does that? I'll tr try to clarify that for you. We propose the changes for the split sleeper berth so that those vehicles that are equipped with sleeper berth, the driver has that flexibility of the three seven. So there'll be seven hours in the sleeper berth and then the other three hours could be either be in the sleeper berth or off duty. So that's your sleeper berth situation. If you have a driver, for example, that does not have a sleeper berth with the pause that gives them the flexibility that if circumstances are such that they'd rather go off duty than to have some unproductive time, then they would go off duty for one pause up to three hours, so at least 30 minutes, but up to three hours. But then they would still have to give 10 consecutive hours off duty later on. So if the driver did have the flexibility and had a sleep at birth, they would just go ahead and use the 3-7 based on this proposal. But if they didn't have that particular option, then you've got a 3-10 to help other drivers out. Okay. I just think maybe in the language, if we could be, make a little more clarification, I see you know, a lot of DataQ challenges based on, <laughs> based on the way it's, it's stated here. Um, that was pretty much it. Thank you very much. I did have one clarifying question for you real yes. quick, and that is you talked about the safety concerns of a driver driving eight consecutive hours, that even under the current rule, in theory, if the first thing the driver did was hop right behind the wheel when they started the work shift, that they could, in theory, go eight consecutive hours. So are you saying that the agency needs to do something to keep people from driving more than some shorter period of time in terms of consecutive hours? Yes, I, I feel strongly that it's, it's just not safe. Um, if you sit in a room staring at a screen for eight straight hours, you don't get out of your chair, you never go to the bathroom, you never get up you know, to walk around, I guarantee your work's gonna suffer. Uh, you know, data entry clerks are forced to get up uh, when they're working uh, because their, their work suffers. So a driver sitting behind a wheel, um, while most of them don't drive eight consecutive hours, the, unfortunately some companies and some brokers will push these drivers. Why did you stop? Why did you stop? And some drivers just feel that they have to do this for their job, especially the newer drivers. You know, we have drivers going out there, they're getting trained by drivers with only six months experience. And I mean, that's scary in itself, but um, I think any, any study would prove that eight consecutive hours behind a wheel is just dangerous. Thank you. So you may have answered my question, but I was gonna follow up on that 30 minute break as well. A lot of times over the years, the drivers have told us that we want to, we, we stop when we're actually tired or fatigued, but so you're saying though, we, we should prescribe something in these uh, rule to maybe shorten up that eight hours or something like that. I, I'm saying if you're going to force them to stop anyway, then why not make it for safety? Uh, I, I just don't see the, the need for the eight hour rule if it's not for safety. And I don't think it, it really does. I mean, it might do a little, yeah. but it doesn't much does do as much as you know just making a, a consecutive driving rule, so and you, not dictating you, how long they have to stop. That just that they have to break that drive time along the way. So they don't have to just for your own information. As the rules written, and I know we need to clarify certain things, and um, it's evident obviously with the comments. But you could stop 
and take your 30-minute break prior to hitting that eight hours. Oh, yes, so yes. That's, that's the way it's written now. Yeah, so. and, and I, I even teach my drivers if they take it too early, they might have to take it twice. You know, that, mm -hmm. they, we're not, you're not keeping them from stopping, but I, I'm just saying if you're going to force a driver to stop, sure. then I don't see why you're not going to force them to, to, to do it for a safety reason. And, and I don't see... I just don't see eight, eight consecutive hours driving a safe. Certainly respect your comments. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. Good morning. Louis Pugh, Executive Vice President of OIDA. Um, was an owner-operator for 20-some years. Um, thank you for uh, giving us this opportunity today for us and for drivers and everyone to make comments with FMCSA. Um, we appreciate you trying to expedite this process to get more flexibility. Um, we understand your frustrations as well as our drivers' frustrations for uh, OMB holding us up a little bit. Um, in my comments, the one question we have at OIDA we want some clarification on is, is there going to be a deal where you can stack some of this? Because we see where a person could take a three-hour break or to extend their time because they're tired, get up, start driving again, and then what if there is an adverse driving condition? Are they going to be able to stack that or not stack that? How's that going to play out? That's one question we have. Um, also, another thing we are interested in is on the uh, split sleeper berth. Uh, we appreciate the seven and three, but we wonder why not a six and four or five and five because you know, we have members and drivers that there's been husband and wife teams and stuff like that. When they did away with the split sleeper and went to the eight and two, it just completely wiped them out because they need that five and five, six and four, something like that for the way their operation worked. Um, on the 30 minute break, of course, we'd like to see it go away. We've heard our members, everyone wants to see that go away. So we would, on that, if it's not going to go away, um, as the previous person said, why can't they break that up in like two 15 minutes or a 10 and a 20? With ELDs especially, you can log every single solitary second that that truck's moving or not moving. So w wouldn't it be better if they stopped and took three 10-minute breaks or two 15-minute breaks if they want to run that way? Why does it have to be a whole 30 minutes? That's when – and um, finally – um, on the three hours, we've heard a lot of complaints about, you know, this is going to be where, and we, we, this was something we petitioned because with flexibility, extend that clock for three hours. But we've heard a lot of complaints that this is where carriers or shippers and receivers are going to steal time. Now, I'm well aware that you don't have a lot of oversight over shippers and receivers, but I do know you have it over carriers. So I would like to ask that you look back at your... <coughs> Um, NCCB um, National Complaint Database where guys can comment about coercion because I know at OIDA we have filed tons of these complaints about carriers coercing drivers. There's never been any action done on any of them that we know. So I hope that if this goes forward and we get this 30, extra three hours, that's one thing that you guys will readdress is that site. So if guys are being coerced, they can report it to you guys and there will be action taken against a carrier that would do that to a driver so i appreciate it again and thank you very much just appreciate your comments um you know you mentioned a couple of things i wanted to the stacking is a very good question and quite frankly i have that myself so and again as 
this, these listening sessions that we're having, um, you know, we will listen and address all these uh, in the final rule. But one of the questions you asked, and what I'm going to ask OOIDA is, if you have data, you talked about the split sleeper, six and four and five and five, you know, from your membership, you know, how that benefits or anything that says it's as safe or safer than what we're proposing, we certainly want to hear that. You know, if you look at that rule again, I brought up to the, the gentleman earlier, is we looked at the average sleep time that a driver gets and it's 6.4, 6.5. And basically, you know, by OMB regulations and so forth like that, we have to, you know, try to justify this. So if you have any other data that would support that 5564, please submit it to the docket. I'm sure we have a data in our foundation. Of course, we will be providing comments. I'm sure you're well aware. And we are very definitely encouraging all of our members to do so. And just driver, whether a member or not, please file comments. But we'll get that data in our comments and we'll get that to you. That won't be a problem. Thank you. Thank you. Figured I'd use the back mic since no one else decided to use it. <laughs> My name's Darren Yancey. I'm here in two capacities. I do a broadcast radio show that deals with trucking, and I'm also a truck insurance broker. No tomatoes. Um, there's something that I don't think you folks understand. I'm not going to comment about the rules. It's up to you guys to work it out. But there's an unintended consequence of what happens when the hours of service are not followed properly, and they go to an alert status on FMCSA. That ISS score, as that thing starts to escalate based upon the algorithm that you have calculated for hours of service, it's killing these people. Because as that safety score goes up, what happens from an insurance standpoint is less and less carriers will look at them. And the ones that will look at them, if their ISS is above 70, it's an absolute bloodbath. So one of the things that you need to do whenever you make these rules is you need to get it out as quickly as possible but look at the possible impact that that algorithm has on hours of service because you can look at it and you can pull up everybody's safety scores and if that's the one alert, it's driving it up on a continuous basis. And once it gets over 70, everybody in this room that's trucking, it costs them extra money. So whatever you can do to adjust that will help put money in their pocket and help keep on the road. That's all my heart. Hello, my name is Desiree Wood. I'm a truck driver and the president and founder of the Real Women in Trucking organization. We are a driver membership. Um, Mr. Miner, smiling, you've heard of us before. I've corresponded with you. I'm here to present a petition to you with nearly 900 signatures this morning. Um, we do have some, several members here. They're gonna talk to you about the proposed hours of service, so I'm gonna focus on what I'm delivering to you and let them talk on their individual because they do very diverse different jobs in trucking and it impacts them all differently. Um, this is the petition. It has nine action points before it has all of the um, signatures. They're still coming in and these signatures have been collected in just the last few days, nearly 900. Um, this is related to um, sexual harassment primarily in the training fleets. We've been talking about this going on 10 years now. Um, in 2013, actually, our vice president, Sandy Talbot, 73-year-old truck driver, came to one of these listening sessions in Matt's and Mr. Miner, I believe you, were on that panel because we have a video of it and Ann Farrow was 
there and we talked about the entry-level driver training, some of the issues that some of the other drivers have brought up, students training students, uh, the blind leading the blind, and in this business model where they're doing team freight students is where we, our organization, gets the most distress calls from women who have been sexually assaulted, uh, thrown off the truck with no transportation home, um, things of that nature. It's a very small group of carriers we get the most complaints from, not just our organization, but there's a couple other women that are part of our organization that have Facebook groups of predominantly new drivers, uh, women that have just entered in the last couple of years. Um, they go to them because they found them through YouTube, our social media networks. These are, this is thousands of women we're talking about. It's not like five or six. Okay, so I wanted to deliver this um, presentation to you. I was also on the truck parking. I was the project manager for the Jason's Law uh, truck parking survey with Hope Rivenberg. I know you all know what Jason's Law is now. Um, we delivered that presentation to Congressman Paul Tonko, who then gave it to the Federal Highway Administration, which is now why we have a truck parking coalition um, after the tragic death of Jason Rivenberg. Um, that is how I came to know of you. I wrote you at one time, me and Hope wanted to come and meet you, and we didn't ever get the meeting, but um, I did send you a presentation that I did called Sexual Misconduct Affects Trucking <coughs> Safety. It does, because when you have two people that are learning in a truck, and one of them is tormenting, bullying, threatening the other one, you can't drive safe. And I've been a person in that situation as a student. I had violent altercations between a co-driver, and I got myself off the truck because I said, I can't operate this vehicle safely because I'm shaking. And those are the kinds of women that contact me today that are in the same situation. It, sexual misconduct does impact trucking safety. And that's why you guys that oversee the entry-level entry driver training have to look at this and see how you can do something immediately, not after a comment collection, because the comment collection that's going on right now cites something from 2006 and I have actually been in touch with the woman that did it. And just the abstract is available. She won't give us the whole report. But there's been several, several other dissertations that were created. There's a book that was recently published, and the author is right there, that talks about some of this. There's numerous articles in incredible, um, you know, journalists have done. Our organization um, won a motion to intervene in the CRST sex harassment case to unseal documents so that it would not be an urban myth anymore. Today, law firms that handle um, cases at several, they want to see those documents to compare what's going on and there are common threads in this business model that is an entry-level driver training. Some of them have gotten the learner's permit exemption. So it, all of us have a part in fixing this. So I'm going to give this to you, and I want to tell you that even though even at the CRST we've seen dismissals and we've, we haven't seen a lot of progress, one woman was able to get a jury to hear what happened to her, and she won $1.5 million when a jury heard her story. We're, our organization is giving her an award on Saturday here for being a courageous plaintiff, and in her acceptance speech and in this petition is her comment that she contacted the FMCSA 
and the Department of Transportation when this happened to her in 2005 and there was no resources available. Thousands of women have been impacted since then and we need to do something now. We don't need to collect comments. The world's a different place today. We all know that. We all see TV. We all know that there are people that we trusted and we thought were good people and they weren't good people. And we need to stop enabling and we need to wake up and do something. So, thank you. I'm going to give you this. Thank you, Ms. Wood. And uh, I know based upon our conversation uh, yesterday, very informal, that you'll be in Washington in the near future uh, at Georgetown, is that correct? Or yep. your group? Yes. So uh, perhaps we can arrange for uh, some time to, uh, to meet and uh, uh, go in more depth on this issue. Uh, obviously, this is an issue that uh, certainly uh, impacts all areas of our society, all uh, areas of work, um, and it's, it is troubling, uh, but certainly to the extent that it is in the transportation sector, uh, it's something that we should be concerned about. So we look forward, uh, if we can arrange something when you're in, in Washington, we'd like to do that. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. We're going to take one from uh, one of our webcast uh, participants. Uh, and this is from Sue Murphy of D&G Transportation. And she asks, what is the DOT's recommendation if a driver is parked at a shipper receiver for a 10-hour break and is instructed by the shipper or receiver to pull into or from a dock? This is a common occurrence not due to bad planning or scheduling as some in the industry conclude. The driver will be able to use the yard driving on duty option to move to or from a dock, but it is, a, it is line four and although line four will not be on an hours of service violation, use of a yard driving will break up a 10 hour break. If the driver does not do as the shipper or receiver requests, they lose their place and are forced to wait longer to complete a break. This is an issue, especially in less than truckload part, part of the industry where, wherein a person may have five to 10 drops on their trailer. Additional waiting time at any one shipper or receiver causes rescheduling and hefty and unreasonable fines on the rest of LTL load deliveries. What is the solution? Elongated appoint, appointments is not a solution dragging drop appointments over several additional days, thereby delaying a driver from obtaining return freight in a timely manner and keeping them from their home time. A more liberal interpretation of the split sleeper is one solution as shorter periods would stop the 14, thereby allowing the driver to rest on either side of the yard move. Please advise, what is your suggestion for this type of situation? Better planning is not an acceptable su suggestion as we are diligent in keeping a driver within the 14-hour rule while also plan planning five to 10 drops that require appointments. LTL is not the same as the one and done drop portion of the industry. Please take this matter into serious consideration as the LTL industry needs a solution. So one of the things just, and it's something we can discuss further um, during the rulemaking process, but if you look at that 30-minute um, break up to three hours uh, during the workday, that may be a uh, 
partial solution to this question and, and situation, and we kind of spell that out um, throughout the rulemaking process on that um, that uh, optional 30-minute to three-hour break. So that could help. And on the topic of brief interruptions, we've published regulatory guidance in the past concerning brief interruptions of the off-duty periods or the sleep birth periods. So if it's truly just a brief interruption where for whatever reason the ship or receiver needs you to reposition the trailer for just the five minutes or so, that those brief interruptions do not mess up your off-duty period. So if you were truly intended to be off-duty for 10 consecutive hours and somewhere along the line they had just briefly had you move the trailer and then you could go right back to rest again, then that would not be counted against you based on our previously published regulatory guidance. Just to clarify what you just uh, said, uh, that, uh, oh, excuse me, the uh, five-minute break, how would you log that? Would that be personal conveyance? Because it's going to trip your ELD when you move the trailer. So would that become personal conveyance, and that would that split your sleeper? How would you do that? I think you would take advantage of the opportunity to just make an annotation or note okay. to the record that, yes, the vehicle did start up. Yes, you did move it some very short distance from one part of the yard to the other part of the yard that the shipper just required you to move. So just make the notation that that's what happened. Okay, so just an annotation. Then. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I did actually have a, a comment, too. So my name is Rich McCormick. Uh, I've been an owner-operator and a company driver for 25 years, so uh, I have a little bit of experience out there. Um, I really like a lot of the things in the new proposals. Uh, we really missed the split sleeper berth when it went away, and uh, it, I think this is really going to help to have a little bit more flexibility. Um, on the 30-minute break, I know a lot of people hate it. A lot of people think it's great. Um, I would like to be able to split it up. It'd just be nice. Uh, my age and driving down the road, I'm not going to be able to drive for eight hours without stopping and using a restroom. So I'll stop for 15 minutes a couple times during that eight hours, and that should, I would think, take care of the 30-minute break. It would be nice if we could split it up into, say, two 15-minute breaks or something like that. Still show it, still have the, the stop time, be able to get up and stretch and walk around, but... Um, sometimes I'll stop for 15 minutes, um, and then when I get closer to the aid, I've got to take another 30 to satisfy the, the regulation right now. Uh, and you're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs, waiting for that 30 to be up when you've already gotten a little bit of rest and you've used the restroom and you're ready to go. So uh, if we could have, just have a little bit more flexibility in that, I would like that. So anyway, uh, that's all I have for now. Thank you. We have a little line in the queue, so if you're going to speak uh, and you're up front, please look behind to see if there's folks waiting before you come up. No big deal. Hello, my name is Josh Aaron Williams. My first career, I was a high-ranking fireman. I trained drivers to drive fire trucks. And uh, One thing is, in our country, our last administration changed where 2014, you don't have to speak English or read English to get drive license in this country anymore. And that's coming a huge problem. People can't read signs. They don't understand English, but yet we're hitting bridges, we're hitting buildings, we're going down places that we ain't supposed to be going down. Sign says no trucks, and they make right turns, take bridges out. That's something that really needs to change. In Tennessee, they're starting to crack down on that, because if you can't read English, that sign, why are you driving on our roads? Because if I go to your country, 
or some else country. I got to read their signs or I can't get nowhere. But yet our previous administration has put a lot of rules on us and the immigrants have took advantage of that where it hurts us. And I, I work for Landstar and I do a lot of oversized military freight. And we have a lot of people that are from this country are starting to pull our top secret stuff. They have no idea what they're doing. When you tell them they're not chaining it down right, they don't like it. They can't speak our English. They don't understand, but we got to do something because that's what our biggest problem is, is these people come here and don't understand our rules, don't understand our regulations, but yet it's a big problem. Do you have a comment on the hours of service in PRM? What we're here to discuss? Uh, the hours of service, uh, exemptions, like for military freight. You pick up military freight, like, say, at Fort Campbell, I have to be on the East Coast. They don't matter what that logbook I have, but I have to be there by a certain time because it's going on a plane. Uh, something needs to be about military exemptions because some states allow it, some states don't. But that's it. That's Like I said, we got to do something about training of our people down from this country. All right, thanks. Thank you. I'm Ingrid Brown, Roland B., also a board member of USTA, and our roads are safety. Um, I want to first address, and this was one of the things I came up with, was about the annotations. Um, we all know that that really boils down to being the, dry, the officer's discretion. It boils down to whether he can find the accurate information that he needs to prove why you moved, why you interrupted, this kind of thing. Um, that can get really, it's almost like it's all being pushed down on top of us as a driver and an officer. And that's where, the, where it ends. Um, I don't wanna stand there and feel like I have to defend myself whenever it comes down to him having to question me, but he's doing his job just like I'm doing my job. But it still starts again, what we've been trying to do is remove that tension where we can work together rather than we feel like we're being put together and, and pitted together. And I think that there's got to be some way, because there's so many ways that each one of us can make a move. If you wanna make a yard move to move a trailer around a yard, some people may choose it as PC. Some people may choose it as a yard move. Some people may want to chance it and not run over five mile an hour. Any way you do it, what's the right way? What's going to be the way that that officer you run into is going to accept one of those because he's really not sure about the other two or he feels very strongly about only using one of the three? So I think some, some literal clarification, and clarification has to come from the people that have written this and the people who are stating this Anything else to all of us is just basically more of a opinion uh, of what you're trying to tell us we need to know and how we need to look at it. So clarification is a great thing for us right now. But I think clarification to law enforcement is an even greater thing to keep the tension on the road down, to keep us, to keep officers happy. And that's what it's all about when it comes down to it. Annotations, I can note all day long. It doesn't matter. It depends upon what that officer that's looking at me and what's been down, come down the system to him. And every time it comes down the system, it's going to have a word change. It's going to be clarified a little different. And then all of a sudden, you've got something turned and twisted all the way around that it's 
completely different. So simplicity and bringing it to them and us in a way that we both know what we're doing when we face each other, that there's not any gray area of them being, you know, being problems with that. The other thing was on sleeper birth. Um, I have ran team in my life, as you know, you know, I run solo. Um, but I'm gonna say, <clears throat> I'm gonna fight hard for these teams. Because five and fives, that is the sweet spot for a team. And the reason being, you can't ride anywhere in this country more than five hours of sleep. There's no way. One, the roads. And we can't do anything about those. Two, traffic. Three, weather. You're not going to be able to, or here's the other one. When that truck stops, 90% of anybody that's in that bunk is wide awake because their first thing is, is what's wrong? What's going on? So when they wake up, how hard is it for y'all? I mean, most people nap, I don't. I guess I'm just kind of like wired on go all the time. But how hard would it be for you to sleep five hours by this time after we know on national studies, three hours or more, three hours or more, you actually have enough rest to go to work. You can't go back to sleep for another five. Um, it gives you that time that if something interrupts your sleep, you've had enough. It gives you that time for all of these things that people aren't thinking about. Somebody's gotta stop and go to the bathroom sometime. So when they do, I mean, you're breaking up your sleep here completely. Nobody can stay in a bunk that long, not riding down the roads today. I think some of the splits can be looked at a little better, or a little more. Because uh, if you're gonna do a, a two and seven, an eight and two, a two and eight, whatever, a five and a five, if you'll look at the, the statistics on that from when we were able to do it, I think you'll find our teams were a whole lot more productive. They were able to stay with freight moving in the lanes from coast to coast, border to border, wherever. But I think that the main thing was, was they were safe doing it. To the extent you can get that data, I know that was years and years ago when the five and five was permitted, but the extent folks have that data, we would absolutely love to have that data. Okay, uh, Ms. Brown, also, you made a comment in early in your remarks uh, that I thought uh, is important. Uh, from our perspective, obviously, for if you're talking to a group of, uh, of drivers, um, it takes time for any change, whatever the slightest change we have that we make, um, even if well-intentioned, and I've got some recent ones in mind, that it takes a long time for pr the proper interpretation to get down to the driver level because there's a lot of miscommunication, misinterpretation of, of that. And, um, and that doesn't help anybody on the roadside. We, we all know that. We work very hard um, uh, once a, a, a change is made uh, to obviously uh, work with everybody in industry to, to get the proper interpretation down. It does take time. It's not overnight. We understand that. But we also, uh, the folks are not in this room. We do have some law enforcement in the room, but the folks, through, whether it's through the Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance or the individual states, that have enforcement uh, units that um, we work hard to educate them as well because they also have a lot of changing personnel 
in that. So that, I, I just want everybody to appreciate that that is a challenge that we understand. And uh, it's for something like this, if we're going to make whatever the final rule is, it's going to take a lot of work on everybody's part with industry and with, uh, with law enforcement to get on the same page. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's, it's going to take, it's a process. And Jack would know, Jack, besides being a, a, a state trooper in New York, he was a former president of the Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance uh, some time ago. And, and we, we, it, is a work, it is a process. So I, I take your point. Yes, thank sir. You. And thank you for everything. I mean, you've made some changes for us that is definitely helpful here. And I mean, I don't think there's really anything but just a few little tweaks that I don't think any of us can't live with. So thank you. Ma'am, just a uh, follow-up to what the administrator said, and I wrote down your concerns about clarification on the yard moves and so forth and how to uh, annotate it and so forth, and um, I'll make it a point when we get back to, to discuss that issue with the team back there, and then CVSA, as the administrator mentions, later on in September, we'll, we'll discuss it there too. And, and we want fair playing field for all. And, you know, there's a lot of discretion. We don't want to overly prescribe things either. Um, but your point's well taken, and we will look at it. You're welcome. So we're going to take one from uh, online again. Uh, this is from Leo Hughes. You can still come up to the, to the mic. But this is from Leo Hughes, Great West Casualty Company. This is not a long one. Uh, is the is a seven and a half, seven and a half hour and a two and a half hour split allowed? The answer is yes, right now, yeah, and, right. and we'll yeah. clarify that because yeah. we had a lot of discussions on this once the thing went out. I'm waiting for somebody. To I told down you it was there. a good question. I thought Larry was going to jump on that one, but the answer is yes, right now. If you look at the way it's read, it reads. We acknowledge that it's confusing, so it's basically a minimum of two hours, maximum of eight hours. It's got to add up to ten. So what it can't be is one and a half hours and and eight and a half. But we will definitely, you know, as we get the comments throughout, we will clarify it. language. Good morning. I am Brita Novak. I've been driving for 17 years. Could you lean a little bit closer to the mic, please? I'm tall. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's taller. Right. Okay. I am. Um, my name is Brita Novak. I am. I've been driving for 17 years. 15 of those for my own company. My company. Um, a lot of things uh, that I wanted to say have already been said. Uh, so, you know, I stretched it all off already. Um, I decided a long time ago to go the hard route and go less than truckload. Multiple pickups, multiple deliveries from Miami to Manhattan produce. Is there anything else that is you know, on top of it, that makes it harder. I don't know, maybe hazmat. <laughs> so um, the hours of service is a big challenge for me because one size does not fit all. Um, and I am perfectly capable of keeping my route safe. So I know where to stop um, to not to add to the congestion like Washington, D.C. There is a way that I did it for many years. and. Now, 
I'm being forced to stress over it from the beginning to the end. I have only a window to get into Manhattan. It has to be at night. And I have to be out of there by 6, 7 o'clock. I have to be out of there. Now, if I, for whatever reason, go over the 14 hours, and I have time to drive, I have driving time available, just not the 14 hours, I cannot take 10 hours in Manhattan. It's not possible. Um, now, that's just one example. What I'm trying to get at is the same word that has been used so many times today, flexibility for all these different parts of the trucking industry. When they pick up the produce from the field and it takes them an extra hour to pre-cool it before they put it on my trailer, I'm going in panic because one hour now changes everything. It changes when I will be arriving in Washington, D.C. to make it through or not, you know, or getting into Manhattan at just the right time. It's, there has to be flexibility, and I have to make that decision. So, okay, let's go by this real quick. So we've got all that. Um, why are we not holding the warehouses <coughs> accountable for the um, ridiculous time for unloading? It's many, many years ago, there was that two-hour rule. Costco does it, Walmart does it. I love those two. I don't deliver to those, <laughs> you know? So warehouses need to be held accountable. That's that. Everything else has been said from, by all these other people. That's Can I just want make one comment? Because others may come to the microphone or be online. I, I don't want you to not submit your comments because other people have already done that. I, I urge you uh, to please, um, whether you do it at this session, um, uh, I understand that mi microphone time is valuable, but whatever comments other people said that you wanted to make, please make those online and submit them for the docket I, as well, because we want to hear from everyone in, in, the, in the broad sense, okay? That reminds so. me of one more comment that was also said, but I want to drive it home here. Um, I have a pit bull on my truck, and um, that made me get out of the truck every three hours for maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes, which is amazing. Um, one time I realized that I was at 28 minutes, um, but I also remember the guy behind me wanted me to leave already and there was nowhere to park. I had to leave. Now I was at 28 minutes. Um, and then I would have to take another 30 minutes off. So can we accumulate those times somehow? I would take another five minutes, 10 minutes somewhere. And speaking about the eight hours, nobody drives for eight hours straight. It's not possible unless I don't know <laughs> it's you stop you go to the bathroom you stop somewhere so and there's one last thing um, 17 years ago when I trained with um, CR England my trainer hit me regularly yes but nobody took me seriously and I reported it and about a month later, I, he hit an overpass, and that's when they took me off the truck and gave me another trainer, put me with another trainer. Not because I was hit, but because my trainer hit an overpass. I just wanted to say that too. Thank you. We're gonna take another one uh, from online. This is from Lee and Lisa Schmidt. 
Trucking with the Schmitz. Uh, hello, thank you for allowing us to ask questions live during this session. Can you please clarify that the eight and two and seven and three split do indeed reset the drive on duty clock to full hours at the end of the second split being taken? In your proposal, does the two hours adverse, adverse extension extend the 70 hours? I think that DOT inspections should be allowed in that adverse conditions since they hold us for long periods of time, which will take away from our time to find parking, et cetera. I'll respond to the last question about does the two hours adverse driving time extend the 60 and the 70? The way that the proposal is written now, no, it would not. It would only extend the 14-hour rule. And I think he had a question about the split sleeper berth and the way it's structured. Once you've fulfilled both of your sleeper berth periods, that would essentially be restarting a new 14-hour clock. Once you've satisfied that, the, the two pieces added together gives you your equivalent of 10 consecutive hours off duty. So that would then open up a new 14-hour clock. 